So we're going to jump right into our, our Bible study today uh, because there's a lot to cover. We're coming back to our study in the book of Genesis. We've been going through Genesis on Sunday morning, and uh, we've come to the place where, which I think is one of the most fascinating parts of, of Genesis. And so today's going to be kind of an old school Bible study. So if uh, you like that, this is for you. And if, if, if not, then, then, um, then, you know, but I know in the front end, there's a lot in this. So I don't want to wear you out, but there's just no other way around this. So uh, just, just know that. So I know it's a lot. But um, as we get into this today, there on your outline, as we've been going through Genesis, one of the things we've pointed out in the New Testament, Paul would tell us, he says, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. And so when you go through the Old Testament, you always have to keep in mind that these are not just stories. These are the things that God wanted to to tell us, or something that God wanted to convey. And, and so much more happened than the stories that were told, but these are the stories that, that God wanted us to, to know. So we put these in the Bible. Even in the stories, there's more things that happen in the story, but the story will give certain details that God wanted us to know, and so he's going to leave some stories out. So, so you want to know that. So this is written for our instruction. Another thing that we talked about in our last study, oh, just, you know, back in December was in, in Hosea, God says, I've spoken by the prophets and I've multiplied visions and used similitudes. And we talked about the word similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. And we talked about how a similitude is a word picture where God is telling a story, but you realize that it's more than just a story about what he's telling. It's actually a picture of something else. Well, chapters 22 through 24 are, are one of the most fascinating similitudes, word pictures, stories that are pointing us to something, I would say, much greater. So um, as we get into this today, let me just say that from chapters 22 through 24, your understanding of these chapters and what's going on is going to shape your understanding of the New Testament, the gospel, the church, and the work of the Holy Spirit, and so much more. I'm going to highlight some things, but there's a lot more, hopefully to give you enough that gives you a framework. So and, and then again, let me just say, uh, if you're new to the Bible, some of this might be, um, you know, very, very new, unfamiliar to you, but hang in there and, and it'll become clearer as we go. Well, you'll remember it was just before Christmas when we were in chapter 22 and we talked about how chapter 22 was an Old Testament picture of Jesus dying on the cross there on your outline. Uh, tw chapter 22 is a picture of Jesus' death on the cross. And we talked about how Abraham understood that he was acting out prophecy. And so when we were there, we mentioned, and you want to write this down, that Abraham represents God the Father. And so we, we talked about that when we were there. And then Isaac represented Jesus. Isaac is the son, and so he represented Jesus. And so in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, let me just read a couple of verses here. It says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham, Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, 
your only son, whom you love, Isaac, to the land of Moriah, and we underline Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will show you. And, and so we talked about how Abraham understood that he was acting out prophecy. And if he didn't understand that he was acting out prophecy, that this chapter would get real weird real quick. Abraham's told to take his son to the Mount Moriah. And so we put a map up and we showed that Moriah is literally outside the gate of Jerusalem, and it will be the exact same place where another son will actually be sacrificed 2,000 years in the future. And then in verse 4, we notice it says, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and, and saw the place from a distance. And we talked about how uh, in Abraham's mind, his son had been dead, good as dead, for, for three days. And so we talked about that. And then in chapter, uh, verse 6, it said, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And so when we were there, we talked about how the son would take the wood and put it on his back. It would be enough wood that it would consume the entire offering. So it'd be very heavy. And so just as another son, 2,000 years in the future, would take the wood of his sacrifice on his back and he would go up to the same place and he actually would be sacrificed. Well, we talked about that, how this was a picture of that event but because it's a picture God doesn't actually want Abraham to sacrifice his son, God intervenes, provides a substitute, because that sacrifice that this is talking about would take place 2,000 years in the future. But then we noticed in verse 19, in verse 19, um, chapter 22, verse 19, and uh, as Abraham comes down the mountain, it said, so Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. And one of the things that we mentioned was uh, when Isaac, the son, goes up to the place of sacrifice, there is a sacrifice, but when Abraham comes down, the son is not part of the story. He's not visible in the story. As a matter of fact, we mentioned that we will not see the son again, Isaac in this case, until his wife is brought to him, which will take place at the end of chapter 24, and we will see that today. So chapter 22 was about the picture of the son being sacrificed. Chapter 23, the first two verses, it says, um, let me just read this on your outline. After the sacrifice, Abraham's wife, Isaac's mother, is removed from the story for a time, for a time. Not permanently, but for a time. So chapter 23, the first two verses, Sarah lived 127 years, and I've underlined that. That'll be important. And these were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went into mourn, underline that, for Sarah, and to weep for her. So a couple of things. First of all, Sarah is 127 years old when she passes. She gives birth to Isaac when she's 90, so Isaac will be 37 years old. So you might want to write that somewhere in your Bible in the margin, just, just for perspective. Abraham, we're told here, he mourns and he weeps for, for Sarah. This is the first time those two words appear in the book of Genesis. Now, I'm going to let you read the rest of chapter 23 on your own, but here, here's where we are so far. So you have chapter 22 is going to be a picture of the son 
dying on the cross, a picture of Jesus dying on the cross. And then chapter 23, after the sacrifice, we notice that Abraham's wife, uh, Isaac's mother, is going to be removed from the story for a time, and she will represent Israel. That's why I keep saying for a time, for a time, and we'll see how that works out. But then chapter 24 that we're going to, going to go into today um, is a picture there in your outline of what God has been doing for the past 2,000 years. In the past 2,000 years, he has been, and you want to write this down, getting the bride for his son, getting the bride for his son. And so we're going to look at what's been taking place over the last 2,000 years, a very long period of time. So it won't surprise us to find, and you want to write this down, that chapter 24 will be the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. So we're going to read a lot today. We will never read this much again. It's just that this is the longest chapter. I didn't write it. My job is to read it. So... um, there you go. Well, so verse 20, uh, chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in age. He's going to be about 140 years old. Uh, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had been in charge of all he owned, please place your hand under my thigh. A lot to talk about here. Um, so after the sacrifice, the son is tucked away. He won't be part of the story on the ground, at least, until later on when his bride is brought to him. But after the son is tucked away, as uh, Jesus is, ascends to heaven, it's after that that we are introduced to the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to find is that this servant that we're going to be talking about today, we're going to call him the unnamed servant, is going to represent the Holy Spirit. You want to write that down. So after Jesus is crucified and raised again, he's tucked away, he ascends into heaven, and then that's when we meet the Holy Spirit. Now, we know a couple of things about the Holy Spirit, and we're also going to know about the servant. First of all, Jesus would say it like this. I'm going King James on you here. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. And I want you to underline, it says, for he shall not speak of himself. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, he shall, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So one of the things we know about the Holy Spirit is he, he doesn't speak of himself. He doesn't draw attention to himself but we're going to find that he's going to be on a mission. That'll be important as we go. So who is this Holy Spirit? Well, we're told, Jesus says, but the helper, the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. So we know that about the Holy Spirit. But here in chapter 24, we're going to be introduced to what we're going to call the unnamed servant. He is unnamed in chapter 24 for a reason, but we know his name. We know his name. We were told his name all the way back in chapter 15. There on your outline, it says the unnamed servant is named Eleazar. There on your outline from chapter 15, the heir of my house is Eleazar. He's the one, going to be the one who's over the house. Now, that's interesting because Eleazar is a compound word in the Hebrew, El Azar. So there on your outline, El is God and Azar is help. So you can translate his name either as God of, God of help, God is help, or God is helper. He is 
the helper. He's going to be the picture of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense so far? Okay, for the three of you, we're going to keep going forward. Also in our story, we're going to meet the bride for the son. And in this chapter, she's going to be known as Rebecca, and she's going to represent the church. And you want to write that down. She's going to represent the church, um, uh, and both individually and collectively. In the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, it says, come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And in the Bible, the lamb is always a reference to Jesus. So she's going to be the wife of Jesus. That's always a reference to the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Um, then another time it says, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So, so again, you have this illusion, the church is called the bride of Christ. So if I can just speak to the guys for a minute, uh, this has always been a little bit weird for me, being called the bride of anybody. I look horrible in a white dress. I... <laughs> And, and, and so what you always, <laughs> amen, oh, you've seen me, <laughs> so <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> so, so what you, you always want, whenever you, you, you go through the Bible, you always want to realize that what God is doing as he gives some of these descriptions is he's describing things in language that we do understand, sometimes uh, relationships that are far beyond our understanding. And so this would be the, the best way to say it. So always keep that in mind. Well, let's jump in. I'm going to pick it up in verse one. And it says, now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he owned, we know him as Eleazar, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you shall go to my country, to my relatives, and then I want you to under, underline, take a wife for my son Isaac. This is going to be a picture. The servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me, and I've underlined that, to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? And Abram said, beware that you do not take my son back there. I've underlined that. Don't take my son back there. Verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, Abraham is speaking, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, who spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants, I will give you this land and he will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing, and you want to underline that, to follow you, then you'll be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son, underline that, back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So there's a couple of things that we have to say. First of all, the servant places his hand under Abraham's thigh. Um, always keep in mind that this is the Middle East 4,000 years ago. And they had this custom of taking an oath where you'd place your hand under the thigh as you took an oath and uh, in essence to say, may my seed do harm to you if you don't keep this oath. Here at Calvary, <laughs> we are going to just stick with the simple handshake 
possibly a fist bump, but no hands under the thigh. (laughs) It's where you say, Amen. Amen. So that very different culture. All right. So the mission of the servant, the mission of the Holy Spirit, you want to write this down, will be to get the bride. Verse 4, it says, you will, not go to, you, you will go to my country, to my relatives, and take a bride for my son, Isaac. We also notice that the woman, the bride, will have a choice. She has a choice. Verse 8, but the woman, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this, my oath. So, so she's going to have a choice in this. Another thing that, that we see in the Hebrew that the English kind of, um, you can see it in the English, but it's much more clear in the Hebrew but the Hebrew implies that the son was where the wife is at some point. And so when he says, don't take my son back there, uh, there in your outline, the King James brings it out a little bit more clear. And it says, and Abraham said unto him, beware that thou bring not my son thither again. Uh, the, the idea is that my son's not going back there. Now, we have no record that Isaac was ever there where the bride is, but the wording implies that at some point he was there. Uh, and so, but he's not going there to get the bride. We're sending the servant to get the bride to bring the bride to him. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Well, verse 10, it says, then the servant took camels 10 camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his, of his masters in his hands. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And let me just put a map up real quick to give Nahor's up here in the area, we would say Haran, and it's about 900 miles. So it's going to be about a two-month journey to, to get there, about a two-month journey. Verse 11, so he takes camels and he takes uh, a number of things. We're going to call those gifts. But verse 11, it says, he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. Underline, grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master." So he's taking gifts a very long distance to, to find the bride, and he prays for success. It's okay to pray for success. Failure happens. Always pray for success. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Also interesting, um, when he prays, and I don't know if this is a message for the single guys, but when he prays to find the bride, he's praying for the woman who has the right character. If she says, yes, drink, and then let me water the camels. He's not praying for the woman with the right body. But what we are going to find is that God's going to throw that in too. So that's, that's good news. Yes. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on now. Verse 15. 
Now, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled up her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please, let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all his camels. Now, I've underlined all of verse 21. Meanwhile, the man, we we never get his name in this chapter, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. Now, a couple of things. First of all, she's going to water 10 camels. She has a jar. Each camel drinks about 30 gallons of water. So this is going to be a big event. She's going to be pulling a lot of water out. It's going to take some time. What I love about this story is that very practically, it's all happening just as he prayed. You know, the the one who comes out and says, drink. The one who says, oh, what are your camels? But in verse 21, it says, meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. Um, Even though it's happening just as he prayed, he's not quick to say, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And uh, you and I live in a church culture where something happens, and if we're not careful, we're very quick to say, it's the Lord, only to find out "Mm, it really wasn't. Now, am I the only person who's ever had that experience? So so you you learn, yes, it it looks like it is, but we're going to go slow before we say it's the Lord. That's just some good practical stuff. Verse 22. Now, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels in gold and and said, whose daughter are you? Please, please... uh, Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. The man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Verse 28, I've underlined the whole verse. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Uh, You notice it keeps saying the man, the man. He never draws attention to himself in the story. Another thing that we notice is that when he meets her, his first act is to give her gifts. And so you want to write that down. These are valuable gifts, a minimum of $7,000 worth of gifts by today's standards, probably a lot more. Verse 28, the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. So she receives the gifts and immediately feels the need to share what happened with those that she loves. Something happens inside of her she wants to share with those she loves. Well, verse 28, it says, then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. We're going to talk about Laban in a few chapters, uh, not, not so much today. And Laban ran outside to the man 
at the spring. Again, the man at the spring. Now, when he saw the ring, notice what Laban focuses in on. When he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, this is what the man said to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. He's seen the gifts, and so he's, he's focusing in. So the man, again, the man entered the house. And Laban unloaded the camels. He gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Let me just say that it says the men who were with him. This story is about the unnamed servant getting the bride. Um, But he's not going to travel across the desert with 10 camels filled with all kinds of gifts. But it's going to not give us a lot of information on those details because he's drawing our attention that this is the unnamed servant getting the bride for a son. So that's going to be the focus. So verse, um, verse 20, uh, 33. Yes, verse 33. So when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And they said, speak on. So here, here's what's happening. Laban comes out, sees the gifts, he says, Oh, blessed of the Lord. He wants to focus in on the man. The man represents the Holy Spirit. So write this down and let's unpack it. The temptation is to focus in on the Holy Spirit. The response, uh, the man sees that they're putting all the attention on him. So he says, when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, speak on. She said, I notice you're putting all the attention on me, so let me tell you my business before we go any further. Verse 34, he begins to clarify, and he says, so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The idea is it's not about me, it's about him. And you know, I'm, I'm the servant, like the Holy Spirit who does not speak of himself, uh, but he points, he points to, to God the Father and to the Son. So let me uh, just say, Um, on this. We are what's called a charismatic church. You've heard the term charismatic church. We believe in all the gifts, all the gifts that were given 2,000 years ago are still in operation for today. So we embrace all of them. But we also notice that the focus of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself, but to point us to to the Father and to the Son. And so we notice here that, that he does not point to himself. He says, let me clarify. So if you want to know where I'm at in this whole thing, how many of you have ever heard of uh, Pentecostals? How many of you come from a Pentecostal background? Good. Now, how many of you come from more of a conservative Baptist type background? Okay. So I am staunchly a Baptocostal. That's my position. <laughs> full on, full on. So I'm all in. But here's, here's what you see in church world today, and this is the picture. In some places, the focus is so much on the Holy Spirit that Jesus is more like an afterthought. Well, that's not good. And in other places, um, we're so afraid of the Holy Spirit that we don't even speak of him. And that's not good. So somewhere in there, there's this balance. But here he says, this is my mission. So he's going to remind them of his mission. Verse 34. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. 
The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age and, and you want to underline this, he has given him all that he has. Isaac is a picture of Jesus. How many times in the New Testament does Jesus say, all that the Father has, he's given to me? So this is the picture. It all goes to Jesus. Verse 37, my master bade me swear, saying, you shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife from my son, and, and take a wife from my son. And I said to my master, Suppose the woman does not follow me. And he said, he said to me, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son from my relatives and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives. If they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and I said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful, behold, I'm standing by the spring, and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw, and to whom I say, please let me drink a little water from your jar, and she says to me, you drink, and I will draw for your camels also, let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son." Uh, The reason this is the longest chapter is they say the same thing several times. So just know that. But that's actually uh, important for our story. Verse 45. Now, before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder and went down to the spring and drew. And I said to her, please, let me drink. And she quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and and I will water your camels also. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And for like the 15th time, she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose, we'll talk about that, and the bracelets on her wrists, and I bowed down and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord and the God of my master Abraham who guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. You want to underline for his son. So again, he never points to himself. My mission is to get the bride. And when it says he puts a a ring on her nose, one of the things that um, would be important just for time and space on on the outline, I didn't put it on there, but the word ring and uh, the word jewel are the same word. So you can translate them either way. So most hold, and some translations will translate it, that it's the adornment of on the face. So it's, it's actually a ring of gold that they put around the head with a jewel that hangs down and covers the nose. That's the idea. It's not like the servant walks up to this lady he's never met, pierces her nose, and it's just, that's not what happened. So, but if you're not careful, you can get, a, get that, get that uh, perspective. So, so where were we? All right, so for his son, verse 49. So now, if you're going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, the matter comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Here, here's Rebekah. 
before you take her and go, go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before, before the Lord. And then verse 53, I've underlined the whole verse. The servant brought out articles of silver, articles of gold, and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. So a couple of things that we see. We see that he's going to give gifts. There's an assortment of gifts that he gives to Rebecca. And so you want to write down the gifts are for the bride, and they were also used in getting the bride, and then others received the overflow. Just like on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is given, gifts are given, and as they use their giftedness, 3,000 people are added to the church in that day. So, it's, so here she's receiving all kinds of gifts. It's held that Abraham was the richest man on the planet at that time. So she doesn't know it yet, but she's just become the richest girl on the planet. Well, verse 54, it says, then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. But the brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days, say 10. Afterwards, she may go. And he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And uh, I just have in my notes, you want to write this down. The world says there's plenty of time. He says, nope, now is the time. Now is the time. Well, verse 57, it says, and they said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And I've underlined that. And they sent, thus they sent away their sister Rebecca and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. I don't know if I, if I mentioned this, but Abraham, Abraham had a standing army of over 300. And so there was probably several hundred soldiers that were with him. Verse 60, they blessed Rebekah and said to her, may you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands. May your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. And Rebekah arose with her maids and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant too, that the servant took Rebekah and departed. So there's a couple of things that you want to write down here. First of all, you want to write down that she has to make a personal choice. And she says, I will go. I will go. We also notice that the servant says, let me go. But she makes the personal choice. So the servant does not force his will. She has to make the choice. It's her choice. He's given her a number of gifts, and we gold and silver and garments, all kinds of gifts. Apparently, the bride will have all the gifts for the entire journey until she meets her groom at the end of the chapter. In our story, it's not like the gifts are given and then they begin the journey and those gifts are taken away. The gifts are given for the bride, they're for her use, and she has them for the entire journey. So off they go. And uh, it's about two months or so. A couple of months have passed. And so verse 62, it says, Now Isaac had come from going to, from going to Bier Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field. 
toward the evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, the camels were coming. This is the first time that we see Isaac in the story from the time that there was the sacrifice. He's removed. The time that we see Isaac again is as his bride is being brought to him. So verse 62, it says, Now Isaac had come from going to Bier Lahai Roy, um, which is uh, some interesting words there, there on your outline. You can translate that as the well of him that liveth and seeth me. Certainly that would be true. He's the one who lives and sees me. Uh, others take it the well of the living or a living spring. And so you could equally translate this, and you want to write this down, the well of living water. And that would not be a stretch. Verse 64, they're approaching, and Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, he's my master. And she took her veil and covered herself. It's love at first sight is the idea. So she's very happy when she finds out that that's the guy. Verse 66, the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So the story ends, begins with the sacrifice. The son is tucked away, removed from the story, but the story ends, and you want to write this down, when the bride is brought to the son. You'll remember last week we were talking about this event called the rapture, and Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The idea is that he's not coming back to get the bride. He, the bride is going to go be with him. Did you find that at least interesting today? So there, there's a couple of things as we, we, we wrap up. First of all, in our story, everything happens by progression. It begins with the sacrifice. And then once the sacrifice takes place, the son is removed from the story. We're introduced to this unnamed servant. We know who he is. His name is Eleazar, but in our servant, uh, in, our, in our chapter, he's the unnamed servant who never points to himself, but, on, but is on a mission to get the bride for the son. Gifts are given to the bride, and uh, they are apparently there for the entire journey from where she is met by this one who represents the Holy Spirit all the way until she goes to meet her husband, goes to him. He does not leave his residence, but she will leave her residence to be joined with him. It's a picture, it's a similitude of what takes place for the past 2,000 years. And uh, Genesis is, is filled with these similitudes. So, Thank you. I, I was just completely at a loss for words as to what to say next, but, which happens a lot. So did you find that interesting? Good. So it, you know, it, it lets you know that there's more to this book than some interesting stories. There's a design to this book, and it was written by a designer who laid these things out for us so that we could look at them, and he told us, I'm giving you similitudes. 
So that adds credibility that there's more to this than just an old book written by a bunch of men who really had no clue. It's all by design, all by design, and we'll see that as we go further. As we close in prayer today, if you've never come to the place where you've invited Jesus to be your Savior, uh, you have that opportunity as we close in prayer. And it's very simple. You just invite him in, and he promises when you invite him in, he'll never leave. So join us as we, as we close in prayer. Father, as we wrap this up today, our prayer is, Lord, as we see your word, we realize that this was laid out 2,000 years before it happened, and Lord, it's uh, now been going on for 2,000 years, and so this just happens to be the longest chapter, and it's a picture of what you've been doing, and you laid it all out. And so, Lord, it tells us there's more to this book. It's, it's there by design. Somebody designed it. And you put certain details in, and you left some details out. We know that a lot more happened, but this is what you wanted us to know. So, Lord, for those of us who are here today, and we've never invited you to come into our life and to, uh, to receive your gift of salvation, we look to you today and say, Jesus, I want that. I, I want your salvation. So I thank you for forgiving me of everything I've ever done, everything I ever will do. I want that relationship with you. I'm inviting you to come into my life. I want to belong to you. And as you make that decision, he'll step in. He steps in. He promises to never leave. And it begins the most amazing journey ever imagined as you walk with him. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you, Lord, for the love for you their love for your word, their love for your spirit and the things of God. And I pray, God, that you keep each and every one of us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.